0: So we'll read from 1 Chronicles 11. Um, David becomes king over Israel, verses 1 to 9. All Israel came together to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even while Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord your God said to you, You will shepherd my people, Israel. And you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, he made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, as the Lord had promised through Samuel. David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem, that is Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, you will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. David had said, whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will become commander-in-chief. Joab, son of Zariah, went up first, and so he received the command. David then took up residence in the fortress, and so it was called the city of David. He built up the city around it, from the terraces to the surrounding wall. While Joab restored the rest of the city, and David became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him.
1: Are you becoming more spiritually resolved? Are you becoming more spiritually resolved? Determined to seek the Lord? Determined to put King Jesus at the center of your life, at the center of your relationships, at the center of your family, at the center of your work, at the center of everything that makes up your life. As 2024 beckons us forward, as the year unfolds in front of us, are we a people who are becoming more and more spiritually resolved. That's our desire. That's our deepest desire for this series, and if you were here last week, um, Shane was helping us look through um, the life and the kingship of Saul, Israel's first king, and Shane unpacked what it looks like in someone's life, in the life of Saul, to lose our resolve as God's people. And the scary thing is that that is very possible. It's very possible for any one of us to lose our spiritual resolve. And and Shane helped us by looking at four root issues in Saul's life, and those very same root issues can can, can affect each one of us in our own lives today. Insecurity, which breeds self-reliance, which feeds misplaced fear, which can lead to a false humility, all of which we see in Saul's life and can threaten to diminish our own resolve today. Saul's obituary, if you like, is is recorded, is read out at the end of chapter 10 of 1 Chronicles, and it reads really, really badly. Imagine these were the last words that were written about your life. Let me read it again. 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. We read that Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. And he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Saul's time was over. David's time had arrived. In fact, David's time had been arriving for some time. God had this young man set aside. David had had been prepared and was being prepared to take over the throne for some time. Now, we need to be really clear about something that we see in 1 Chronicles that we don't see in 1 and 2 Samuel. The chronicler who's writing these events, who's recording this for us, is incredibly favored towards David and towards Solomon. Okay, we need to be aware of this. He doesn't waste too much time on Saul. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, his account of Saul's reign begins at the very end. If you want to get more details about King Saul and the events of Saul's life, you need to look at 1 and 2 Samuel. But the chronicler very, very deliberately doesn't do that. He only begins at the end of Saul's life. He's really eager that we hear about the reign of King David, who is to come. The author is only too aware that Saul had lost his resolve, that Saul had had been drawn into unfaithfulness, that his heart had become so wayward that he was consulting mediums for guidance. And what we see as David takes over kingship and power is this restored and renewed spiritual resolve among the people of God. That's the moment that we're at. And as we said when we kicked off this series a few weeks ago, one of David's very first moves, if you remember, and we'll get to this in the coming weeks, one of David's first movements as king was to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, or the ark of God's presence. That is David's first movement when he becomes king of Israel. His eager desire is to bring the presence of God right back into the center of the people of God. There will be no more consulting of mediums. The Lord will be the one that we go to. See, a restored and renewed resolve will always involve placing the presence of God, the presence of King Jesus right at the very center of who we are as the people of God. Spiritual resolve won't happen any other way. You can't have it any other way. Jesus must be the center of it all. He can't be peripheral in any shape or form. He must be at the center of it all. See, Saul's tragic end, marred by unfaithfulness and disobedience, is crucially not the end for God's people. That's the wonderful thing. God was not finished with his people. Put your hand up if you're glad that God isn't finished with you. God is not finished with you, even in your disobedience, even when you're struggling even when you've made a massive mistake, God is not finished with you. I think it's important that we note that. God is not finished with his people. And let's be honest, many of them had just been led into disobedience as they followed a faulty leader. God is not finished with his people. God was once again going to bless his people, and it was going to be through King David. Chapter 11, verse 2, read a few moments ago, speaking of David, God says this. He says, you will shepherd my people. You will shepherd my people, and you will be their ruler. You will be their king. But I can't emphasize something enough here, and this is really, really important. David, I mean, I love King David. David is probably, for me, outside of Paul um, in the New Testament, David, for me, is probably the hero that I look to the most in the scriptures in many ways. Now, I'm going to talk about his failures too, and we'll get to that. But I can't emphasize something enough here. David is a king. David is a ruler. David is a hero. He is. God's hand is upon David. And David is going to lead the people into great deliverance. David will lead the people into great victory in God's name. Um, But David does not do that perfectly. He's not the perfect king. Far, far from it. Let's get that out there. David is greatly, greatly flawed. He still has, and he will have moments of momentous mess up. David is going to get it very, very wrong. Great sinfulness, he will get it all wrong. And so when we look at the life of David, as we're going to do over these coming weeks... We're always left intentionally waiting for the greater son of David. We're always left waiting, pointed forward towards the king of kings who would come, who would be perfect in every way. The perfect, eternal king of kings, King Jesus. David's life serves to do that. It points us forward to King Jesus. So the lesson in this moment is don't ever place all of your hope in an earthly king, an earthly leader, dare I say it, an earthly pastor or minister. Certainly not this one. You hear me? Don't place all of your hopes in someone like me. Trust me, right? As in like, trust me, I want you to trust me. You can, you can trust me. I want you to trust me. Can I say something else? Follow my lead. I don't say that easily. God has put something within my heart and within my life. I hope it's worthy of imitation. Follow me, yes, but don't put your hopes in me. Do not ever put your hopes in me. I want to lead us deeper deeper into an experience of the presence and the goodness and the love of God through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's where I want to lead us. But do not place all of your hope, any of your hope in me. I get it wrong. If I can just be really candid for a moment, I know there will be moments, and you've probably experienced these already, where I will let you down I can be very slow to respond to WhatsApp messages. I can be very slow to email back. Do you want to see my inbox? As in what comes through. I can say the wrong thing sometimes. Sometimes in leadership meetings, I have to hold my hands up and say, you know what? I think I got that wrong. I think God has sent something else. I think we need to invest in this direction or in this way. See, the church of Jesus Christ has been tragically let down by many pastors, leaders, preachers who appeared or wanted it to appear like they had it all going on. But they're flawed. You see, to be a truly resolved people is to always only place our hope in the ultimate king, the ultimate king of kings. He is the sole king of this church and the sole king of our hearts. You young people in the room, you know I love to speak to you. If you're a young person in here right now, who do you follow? Who do you love to follow on social media? Who do you listen to? Whose voices are you hearing day in and day out? Whose lead do you follow? Who do you think is really cool? or who really has it all going on, I want to say something. They are flawed. Yeah, even worse. Some of them are just false. They're not just flawed. Some of them are totally false. See what you see coming through your screen? They want you to believe one thing when actually it's just not true. It's just not true. And so you young people, you need to know that Jesus not only loves you, but he is perfect in every way, and he will never, ever, let you down. If you want someone to give your life to, someone who will never fail you, whose grace and goodness is always enough, you build your life on him. You put your trust in Jesus. David is not perfect but his life and his leadership always serve to point us forward to Jesus, the King Jesus, the yearning heart that we see in David. How's David described as a man after God's heart? That kind of heart within David is stunning. But it serves to point us towards Jesus who would come after him. Jesus whose heart would be perfectly in line with the Father's. We always look to Jesus. Okay, before we get to the moment in chapter 13, where we see David bring the ark back to Jerusalem... We've got two chapters, 11 and 12, that kind of summarize how the kingdom, this new monarchy is coming together. And it's it's like a movie, seeing every moment in chapters 11 and 12 are kind of like a movie where we're introduced to all these people, all of these warriors, all of these fighters who are coming in and gathering around this new King David. And so this morning, I want to just take us through for the next few moments Two big foundations that I think we see in chapters 11 and 12. And these are the two foundations. There is a prepared place and there is a prepared people that we see coming together. A prepared place. See, significant in these chapters is the establishment of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which was also known as Zion. Um, Jerusalem, which would become known as the city of David or the city of God. David's transferring of power and presence, the presence of God to Jerusalem was something that was incredibly intentional, pivotal in the life of God's people, and really, really significant in the history of Israel. You see, Jerusalem was geographically central to the 12 tribes And so with this movement of power and presence to Jerusalem, there was an increased sense of solidarity and unity amongst God's people. God's people should always be solid together in their presence, and they should always be united in their purpose. And so the city of Jerusalem becomes, if you like, the capital city of God's presence on earth in the Old Testament. And this movement to Jerusalem marks the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise in Deuteronomy 26. Where God says that his people will go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. I think I have this on the screen. It's a good scripture. God says that his people will go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. So now at this moment in the history of God's people, God's name will have a place. The name of God will rest in a special way in the city of Jerusalem. But what what we see here also with the establishment of Jerusalem, we see this kind of manifestation in the reality, the vision of the prophets like Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel wrote at the end of his vision of the city of God. Ezekiel prophesied this. He said, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits. Listen to this. And the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. Imagine the name of that city from now on shall be, the Lord is there. The Lord is in the city. The Lord is there. Not to get too bogged down in this, but we know that Jerusalem would fall. Jerusalem as the city of God was never going to be the place where God would would permanently fulfill everything that he intended. That was never the case. Jerusalem merely anticipates something much greater to come. See, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 writes this, you've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And then later in chapter 13, verse 14, the author writes, for here we do not have an enduring city. Here on earth, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We are looking for the city that is to come. And all of this, David's election of the earthly city of Jerusalem as God's special dwelling place on earth, combined with our longing for a city that is still to come, all of this reminds us of something that is so vital for us to understand as Christians today. And it's this God has a dwelling for us, God has a dwelling for us. God has a place for us. We are dwellers of the now and the not yet kingdom of God. Dwellers of the now, right now, kingdom of God and the not yet kingdom of God. In the now, His name dwells here. Amen? In the now, right now, God's name dwells here. Am I the only person excited about that? In the nigh of the kingdom, God's name dwells here. Among us, in us, with us. The name of the Lord be praised. His name dwells here. But more so, He dwells here. His presence is here. We talk about this often The presence of the Lord is here. Can you feel him? Can you sense his presence? We don't only declare the name of of God, the one true living God. His name is here, but his very presence is here among us in the now. But also in the not yet, in the kingdom still to come, God's name dwells there. He dwells there. We have an eternal home. This earth is not our home. This earth is not our home. We are eternal city of God dwellers. What practical difference should that make to your life and mine? Well, I wonder, do you struggle with life on earth? I wonder, does life ever get really difficult for you? Have you experienced recent pain and loss, bereavement? We are journeying through some stuff in the life of this church. Our church family is full of joy, but it's also full of great heartache and loss. We felt that this week, and pain, hardship, suffering. Have you got broken dreams? Have you been left without someone far too early? You feel you've been robbed of time? To be really honest, if you're if we we celebrated our P7s earlier, if you're here and you're disappointed about something, you need to know that this earth is not our home. Whatever it is that we struggle with in moments on earth serve to remind us that we're made for a place where there is no more letdown. No more disappointments, no more heartache. You will never cry again in the eternal city of God. Who can't wait for that? You will never, thank you for you participators this morning. (laughs) I know the rest of you are just like that. No more tears or broken dreams. Forgotten is the minor key. Everything as it was meant to be. We will worship, we will worship forever in your presence. We will sing. And what will it be? An endless hallelujah to the king. See, in the Old Testament, God had prepared a place for his people. It would be temporarily Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, do not be troubled. What does he say? In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. He tells them to believe in him. And he says that he has prepared a place for them. And if he's prepared a place for them, he's going to come back and bring them to that place where he is. It's a promise of Jesus. He has prepared a place for us. as his people. A prepared place. The second thing, moving swiftly on, um, a prepared people, we see that in these moments. And this also relates to us today. There is a people being prepared. Saul's kingdom is being turned over to David in these moments. Chapters 11 and 12 show us this kind of inflowing of people. There, there is list after list after list of people from every tribe of Israel who are coming to David They're being drawn in. They're they're coming to help David. This new young king in his new kingship, they're coming. And that word help appears over and over again. They're coming to help David. They're coming in to what God is doing. They're being drawn in to what God is doing among his people. We're introduced to David's mighty warriors. Any young kind of warrior hearts in the room, anyone like kind of movies, you know, like 300 or Braveheart or whatever, this kind of reads like that in these moments. We're introduced to David's mighty warriors. They are highly skilled warriors who will take the lead in battle. We read of the three. There are the three. Then we read of the 30. And they're like, they're like special forces for King David. They're like the SAS of the day who will get in and do the work that no one else can do. There's the three, there's the 30. And then there's warrior after warrior after warrior who joins David's ranks. And they're listed across these two chapters. Let me tell you about two of them. Abishai is one of them. I don't know if you're familiar with the name. Well, Abishai, he killed 300 with a single spear. What kind of guy was that? Somebody's looking at me going, you, you're <laughs> What kind of guy is that? 300 with a single spear. Abishai. Then there's Bananiah. He was a valiant fighter who defeated two of uh, Moab's greatest warriors, huge giants um, who were coming against God's people. He took them on and he defeated them. And then what's more, he went down into a pit on a snowy day we read and he killed a lion what else would you do (laughs) on a snowy day after you've killed two giants I'll go and take on a lion and he goes down into a pit and he defeats a lion I think the lion must have been threatening the people otherwise that would be animal cruelty But there we go, these warriors who rise up. I couldn't help but think of those moments in movies like 300 uh, whenever I was was reading through this. But why on earth is this in um, these moments in the Bible? Why does the chronicler put such emphasis on all of these people who are making choices to come into the kingdom, to participate in what God is doing? I think it's a really good question. Why are all of these people coming together? Why are they being drawn in to what God is doing? Well, I think that's just it. God's people are coming together. God's people are coming together across the nation of Israel at this time. Resolve is building. People are responding to what God is doing. There's a rallying towards the king. There's a renewed sense of purpose. There's a resolve in their commitment to the kingdom. They're responding to God. They're rallied to the king. They're renewed in their purpose. And they're resolved in their commitment. I'm going to say something really bold. I admit that, but I just can't help but feel that perhaps, perhaps that is what God is doing with us. As 2024 calls us forward, forward, if you're new with us i believe that god is at work in this place I believe that the spirit of god is moving there's something incredible is happening right now and i believe that there are people responding to god had enough of what the world can offer They're responding to god People are being rallied to King Jesus. There's a renewal of purpose. And there's a resolve in our commitment to follow the King and be part of His kingdom. I wonder, are you up for that? Is that what we are up for. God, his name, his presence, and God has a people. Very quickly, we see God's people being prepared. They come together. They're giving their allegiance to King David. Day after day, the army grows. We read in 1 Chronicles 12 that that they were fully determined to make David king. We read that they were all of one mind as they come together around David. We read that there was plentiful supplies of fig cakes, raisin, wine, olive oil, cattle, and sheep. And then we read that there was great joy in Israel at this time. And so as we close this morning, I think what we see in this moment as the people of God come together, they're committed and they're loyal to the king. And they know that the king is committed and loyal to them. There's a unity amongst them. They're united in heart and spirit. And the joy of the Lord was upon them. As we prepare um, to worship God, as we close out our time this morning, why don't we stand together? Let's stand together. And just as you stand, there's a lot of stuff there in those two chapters. But what is the Spirit of God speaking to you about this morning? Maybe you just need reminded that God has a place for me, that I belong to Him. If you are a Christian, you belong to Jesus. Maybe you're here. And you're thinking, I want to belong to Jesus. Well, maybe today is the day that you give your life to him. You stay after church. You ask someone that you trust or one of our prayer ministry team to pray over your life for salvation, that you would give your life to Jesus. Maybe the reminder for you is that everything's going to be okay. That God is a place for me. An eternal place for me. Where all the pain will be gone forever. But until that day, you're going to be resolved to follow him. And to know his strength in your life. Maybe the call is just a commitment. Maybe it's the unity. As we see in the people of Israel. Maybe you're, you're disunified. With another believer, and you need to put that right. It's the unity of the Lord that commands and brings a blessing upon the people of God. Then maybe it's just joy. The joy of the Lord is in this place. Joy that goes beyond your circumstances and your disappointments. Joys that go beyond your earthly pain and sense of loss. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we have that new song within us. That endless cry of hallelujah. Because we are made to worship eternally. Not just in the here and now, but forevermore. Joy on earth that transcends our understanding. And joy forever in the kingdom that is to come. So we're going to worship God. We're going to lift our voices. We're going to worship the King of Kings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father as we prepare our hearts to worship you, we thank you that you are committed to us as your people. You promise to never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. You call us to trust you now and forever. So Lord God, we pledge our allegiance to the King of Kings, committed to who he is and his purposes here on earth. We commit ourselves to unity within the body, Lord, that there would be a beautiful sense of unity and love among your people here in this church that brings the blessing of God upon us. And Heavenly Father, fill this place with joy, joy that transcends, joy that goes beyond any of our earthly pain that we might be experiencing right now. Pour out your joy even this morning as we worship you through whatever it might be, may we lift up our voices as one in worship and adoration of who you are. Fill our hearts and fill this place with the joy of the Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.